This one needs a bit of explanation because it's complicated. It's one that we often know as the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, and that's because we've conflated three stories that obviously come from the same root but are, are changed a bit. In the Gospel of Mark that we're going to read, there's a, a man described as rich. In the Gospel of Matthew, he's described as uh, young. And in the Gospel of Luke, he's described as a ruler. So we've sort of brought them together. Scholars think it's probably the, the, one of the texts most fiddled with, which is not a technical term, uh, by uh, redactors and other people through the, his, through the history of the, of the writing of it down because it's sort of, it's a bit disjointed in places and it's a very complicated story. And we've often had to try and unpick it. And so Mark had a go at it. Then whoever was editing Mark had a couple of goes at it. Then Luke had a go at it. Then Matthew had a go at it. Or possibly the other way around. Possibly Matthew was written before Luke. And then the people who edited those texts had a go at it. So we're at the sort of this end of a complicated text. And things get complicated when you're not really sure what they're about. Or what the point of them is. And so there are lots of possible points. So we're going to read it and then I'm going to have a go at some little bits of it. But it's a pretty fascinating text. So that's a disclaimer to begin with. As he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not defraud. Honour your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these since my youth. Jesus looked at him, loved him and said, You lack one thing. Go. Sell what you own and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When he heard this, he was shocked and went away grieving for he had many possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were perplexed at these words, but Jesus said to them again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. They were greatly astonished and said to one another, And who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, For mortals, it is impossible, but not for God. For God, all things are possible. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, for the word of God within us. Why is it so hard? Why is it, in fact, impossible? 
for the rich to enter the kingdom. It's not blindingly obvious. Why, why is that an issue? Impossible because to go through the eye of a needle with a camel, it's a great metaphor, it's impossible. And this is, shocks the disciples, it shocks the, the rich man. Our whole culture is built on the idea that if you have wealth, it's because God has blessed you. The Psalms speak to this a lot. The, the prophet Isaiah speaks to it. This was the way of the world. It's the way things were understood. Is there really something that wealth, which brings status and power, is there really something you can't get with it? Our culture doesn't think so. We put all our energy into status and power. We believe that education is the great benefit to all of us. The better educated you are, the better you understand the world, the better income you can make, and the happier you will be. We're not much different. Perhaps we're not so keen on saying, although there are some churches that do, that if you're rich, it's because God gave it to you. We've seen a lot of rich people who we're pretty sure don't really fit that mould. But we're very keen on the idea that if you earn it, you deserve it, and that if you work hard, that's a kind of moral good. And the, the rich man is keen on it too because he says to Jesus right at the beginning, what must I do? What are the rules I need to follow? What are the steps I need to take? There must be something I can do. I've, I've got this wealth which brings me status and power, which is the real point of money. I can't imagine there can't be anything. I... I no wonder he's shocked. Because Jesus said, well, there's nothing. Nothing you can do. You can't get a camel through the eye of a needle. There's nothing you can do. The idea that we could be powerless affronts, is an affront to us. It, it upsets us. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of being in grief, having lost somebody very close to you, and discovering that there's whole groups of people who you believe to be close to, friends who make no contact with you at all. I make this all the time. Well, I don't know what to say. I don't, I don't know how to be. I don't want to feel that I can't do anything. I don't want to feel powerless, so therefore I'll cut myself off from the person who's in grief. Now nobody means to do this. Nobody means to, at the worst time of a person's life, to not be close and to be a friend to them. But we're so upset by the idea that there's nothing I can do that we would sometimes, and I see this, as I say, all the time, and I've seen it in my own experience of grief, people who you would hope to be near you can't deal with it. We hate the idea of being powerless. The fact that there's nothing you can do. Of course, in many cultures, grief is dealt with quite differently. In Jewish culture, and this is true, you can read it in the Gospels, it's not explicit, but it's there because everybody knows it. The idea of sitting shiver. What do you do when somebody's in grief? You go there. What do you do then? Nothing. You sit there. 
You know why? Because there's nothing you can do. Whatever you think you've got to say, it's not going to mean anything. Everybody knows that. Just be there. And there's whole cultures where there are, where it's prescribed who goes, how long they go for, and how they be there. We've lost all of that. We hate the idea that we could be powerless. And Jesus says to this man, you lack something. One thing. Which, how can you lack something when you've got everything? What do you buy the man who has everything? Well, it seems quite obvious when you look at the rest of the text that what this man lacks is the truth. He's living a lie. He's living the lie that he can do something to guarantee and ensure <coughs> excuse me, that his life will go on as it is in perpetuity. That's what he means by eternal life. What must I do to inherit eternal life? There must be something I can do. That's all I need to know is what the one thing is that I can do so I can just get on and do it. Because I'm used to doing things. I know how to do things. There must be something I can do to ensure that my life will continue as it is without interruption, without any problems. There's nothing you can do. You know that old joke, if you want to hear God laugh, tell God your plans. There's nothing you can do. Remember, it's impossible. How do you inherit? Well, the only way to inherit is to not die before the person you're likely to inherit from. And if all things go well, your rich uncle, I'm still looking for mine, will die before I do. If I die before him, that's it. Nothing happens. There's nothing you can do. You just, that's when you were born. And where you were born... The lie is that at the centre, that the centre and anchor of his life is the stuff he has and what it means. It's the meaning it gives to his life. That's why he is shocked when Jesus, he kind of, one of the ways that you could read Jesus saying this, because it's interesting, Jesus doesn't make this a law. He doesn't tell his disciples, you need to do the same as the rich man. And the disciples say, well, we gave up, in the next part of the text, we gave up everything. Which is true, but not true. They, Yes, they left their nets, the ones that were fishermen. Uh, some of them left other professions, as far as we can tell. But they didn't sell everything they had and give it to the poor. So it's not quite the same. And Jesus doesn't say to you, you might, we all must do that, which I, I find quite comforting, and you can read it as me... Um, sort of trying to find my way through it, which I probably am, because I'm not willing to give up everything I own and give it to the poor, because then I'll be the poor, and then somebody else will have to do it. I, you know, I don't think Jesus is saying that. I think he was saying it to this man, and that this man was so shocked by it being said, because Jesus could see right at the heart of it that this was the thing that anchored his life. This was the thing that gave his life meaning. I may have told you this, but my ex-wife had an uncle who um, was on the board of BHP. This was in a time when being on the board of BHP, the big Australian, was a big deal. He was a mover and a shaker. 
He decided he would retire. He'd had some heart trouble, so he decided he would retire, and he built this big mansion in Port Lincoln uh, overlooking Boston Bay, uh, Boston Harbour. It looks fantastic. And he moved in, and I remember him saying, uh, when he moved in, he said, I, I rang the board when I, you know, after my last meeting, and I said, look, if there's anything you need, anything I can help with, I'm here, call me. And you know what happened, don't you? No one called. That's dumb. They're moving on. There's plenty of other people who can be on the board. He was absolutely furious. Frequently. That's who he was. And when that was gone, he he didn't know who he was. He was angry with all of us, anybody that was nearby. He was angry with everybody and everything. Because he had suddenly lost who he was. That was the anchor of his life. That was the thing that made his life have meaning. If he was to see a photograph of himself that he recognised, it would be as a board member of BHP. What would the photograph look like of you that you would recognise? Is it your achievement in education? Is it your achievement in income? Is it your family? Look at all my grandkids. That would work for me. When you look at it, there's something that's at the heart of it that kind of gives the, the centre of life some sort of gravitas. And Jesus is saying, oh my, you kind of get a sense of almost saying flippantly, well, here's an idea. Why not get rid of that and see what happens? And then you'll be free to follow in a new way. It's frightening. See, the man had made a category error. He had decided that whatever Jesus was on about was the thing that he always understood. There's things you do and you achieve them and then you move on to the next thing and then you move on to the next thing. That's how the world works. And that's how he'd done it. He'd built this life for himself. But Jesus is talking about something completely different. The category error is things like, what are the rules of surfing? That's... Strange question to ask. Well, there aren't any, right? sure, if you go into competitions, they've got things, but there aren't any rules. You just catch a wave. Hey, there's techniques you can learn and you can get better and better, but there's not. What's the, what's the rule around using blue when you're making a painting? Well, there, it doesn't, like it's the, just the wrong kind of question. What's the step-by-step instructions that I need to follow in order to be in, to be in love with someone? Well, if you start there, you've already you've screwed it up already. You know, like it's a category error. You know why? Because Jesus said, and a couple of verses before, there's literally two verses before our story, the kingdom of God belongs to children. Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. Not, will not be allowed to. There's not any rule. It just, you won't, you won't be able to. Like, there's no, nothing to stop me from entering competitions in order to win, uh, in order to become a, a, a swimmer on the Olympic team next time we have the Olympics. Nothing stopping me whatsoever. There's no law. I could just go to the nearest swimming pool and start the... Pr- but we know it's not about what you're allowed to do, it's what's possible. This, the kingdom belongs, it's a completely different category of things. It belongs to the people who are the opposite 
of people with power and prestige. It's a huge contrast between the status and power of the rich man and the way that Jesus talks about whatever the kingdom of God means for him. And nobody wants to not be recognised and acknowledged. You might not be Rupert Murdoch still fighting at 90. Going to live forever probably. Uh, I don't know what he's thinking. About running his huge media empire and sort of still fending off his sons. But if you don't think status and power are not important in your life, then you're living in a fool's paradise. Just notice the last time you were disrespected and how long that rankled in you. The last time you were slighted by anyone, for any reason, even if they weren't meaning to and they were just blinking because they had something in their eye. If you get in touch with that feeling, you'll know that status and power and respect are central to who we are as people. And yet Jesus says the kingdom belongs to people completely other than that. Children. And you're not only that, but you have to receive it like a child. You can't buy it. You can't work for it. You can't do anything. You just receive it. Like children receive presents. You tear off the paper in absolute delight at whatever there is inside. Jesus is saying something about whatever anchors your life, whatever you think is the central pillar around which everything else builds, what if that was to go? What if you were to abandon that? What would it look like? What would it look like to experience the world as a gift? To experience life as a present that, as the poem said, you unwrap. And sometimes even the smallest things like the scent of a tangerine is enough of a gift for you to realise the world, all of it, your life, every moment of it is a gift. That's something. That's something that Jesus was on about, I think, with the kingdom. Anyway, we could go on about this, or I could, for much longer than I shouldn't. So let's stop. Thanks, Eula.